So this morning we're kind of putting together what would normally be a, a sermon with, as Beth said, kind of a family update talk. So I thought I would sit and make myself comfortable so you guys could be comfortable. It's just uh, maybe a tad longer than a normal uh, sermon this morning. So in Epiphany, we've been doing this series entitled The Revelation of Christ through the stewardship of our lives. And this morning, we're going to mingle that together with this uh, family meeting. And our, our planned topic for this morning was uh, the stewardship of our money and possessions. So just going in this business of stewardship, I'd like you to hold this thought uh, before your mind as we begin. That stewardship practices are really rooted in and reveal what we love and that which we desire and that to which we are committed. And what I want to say by that, especially for those of us who are kind of old head church people and most especially for those, and uh, there have been all kinds of people here at Holy Trinity in our brief history who have been, you know, church dropouts of one sort or another, I hope this will make sense to you, that stewardship cannot be consistent if it's grounded in a kind of grunting discipline or in caving into nagging campaigns for money or for your volunteer time. The word volunteer really should be banished from the church vocabulary. We're never asking for volunteers. We, we are the body of Christ. And we are doing something together. And we've all been given gifts and talents and abilities. And some of us have been given money. Others have been given vision and passion. I mean, we're just a part of that for which Christ is the head all over the world. And us in this little part here. And we're simply giving ourselves to that. So when we come in this Epiphany series to a talk about the stewardship of money and possessions, it's really a talk about to whom will we give allegiance. Uh, as Kevin just read the gospel to us, you might have been a little surprised to hear the ESV say you can't serve God and money, because what are you used to hearing there? You can't serve God and mammon. And we'll talk a bit more about that today, but the whole point of that passage is to help us see this stark choice that's in front of all of us that asks us a question about allegiance. And of course, you know, the Bible is full of people extolling their allegiance to God. This is what the psalmist meant, Psalm 139, when he said, how precious are your thoughts to me? Or when Jesus asked people to consider what to them was the pearl of greatest price, or when Jesus said, Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God, these are, were all ways of helping human beings to decide. And I would want to say here, without guilt, without manipulation, without shame, just have the guts to notice what's real. To what do I really give allegiance? To have the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual honesty to just notice this is what's real. And to know that in following Christ, that's okay. Like, he'll take you where you are, and he'll invite you to follow him, and you can move on with him. So then when we come to our readings this morning, we have very similar things. When Paul says, Colossians 3, to set our hearts and minds. This is really a way of talking about our affections, 
our most true inner desires, our, our drivers. And he asks us to set them on things above. This is a, that language on things above is a way of describing like ultimate reality when things are all finished and what God intended has been done and his purposes have finally come to earth. And so when, when we see this picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, this is a picture of God's purposes coming to be. And so Paul says, I want to ask you to give your allegiance to the things over which Christ presides. That's a picture of Christ presiding over human history. And Paul's saying something like, that's where the real action is. I, Debbie and I just happened to catch last night a little snippet of a few minutes, I don't remember how long, of a History Channel thing on um, cocaine and drug trafficking. So when you think of what's grown in Peru and cooked in Colombia and trafficked through Mexico and into America, when you look at that, it doesn't seem like the real action is anywhere above Seems like the real action is the high an American can get. No matter the price paid all down the line, it seems like the real action is really there or the real action is really, you know, in New York City on Wall Street or the, new, the real action is in, you know, Hollywood and Burbank where entertainment's made and we have all kinds of choices for where the real action is. And our text this morning just invite us to keep it real. For where is your allegiance? Because wherever that is, that's where your truest self is going to drive that car, as Beth just said. And so Colossians is showing us a picture of like our final home, the end of the story, the completion of divine intention, and asking us to set our affections there, to organize our loves and desires around that. And what I want to say to you as we're getting into this um, series on stewardship is that is the only way to pursue Christ-like, Christ-based stewardship is to organize our affections and our loves. It's the only way to do stewardship in a virtuous, non-religious, non-legalistic way. If we don't do that, if we take an outside-in approach, if you let me talk you into something, if you let me talk you into something because I'm the leader, I'm the founder, I'm the visionary. That is a low buy-in. It works. It's done all the time, everywhere. But I'm not looking for compliance to me. I'm looking for mutual, heartfelt, communal decision to follow Jesus and to be his people for the sake of others in the parts of Orange County where we all live. So I get included in that, and I know I have a role in it, and I know I have a certain set of gifts. I don't mean to say I'm not included in it, but I'm not looking for your compliance to my vision. It's too low of a bar. And it'll just get frustrating, and none of us will like it. But if we can set our affections on what God is doing, then we've got a virtuous and non-religious, non-manipulative, non-legalistic way of moving forward. And so Jesus is um, probing in the same areas of our heart when he asks the question or says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Or this business about eyes. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be healthy and full of light. What's up with that? Jesus is saying something like this, or maybe asking questions like this. Upon what do you naturally gaze? Like, where do the, like the, analogously, the eyes of your heart, where do the eyes of your heart go? Upon what do you set your affections? Or maybe a question like this. Through what lens do you look at life? Because we're all looking at life through a lens. None of us have the option to not look at a life through lens. We all are. The question is, through what lens are we sorting out the various aspects of our life? Maybe the words of Jesus invite us to wonder, what do we perceive about life? And Jesus is saying that the answer to those questions leads naturally to either spiritual health or spiritual emptiness and sickness. So the I in this passage is an analogy of that which sorts things out. The eyes help us sort out that which we give allegiance to. That is to say, they organize our lives. And so what we treasure is then the window into our true, not simply stated passions. Did you catch that? That what we look at, what we treasure, Jesus is saying, is a window into our deepest, truest not simply stated, but truest passions. Now, you know what I mean by this if you've ever gone on a diet, right? Or had a New Year's resolution. How many of you have broken them already, right? So you have a New Year's resolution that you think expresses something true about you, only to find out a couple weeks later that that actually doesn't express the truest part of you. What expresses the truest part of you is this thing that you actually want more. And this is what these passages are trying to help us see. And so in the same way that our bodies naturally accommodate to what our eyes see. So like, for instance, I move my hand around this microphone pretty easily. I don't even have to think about it. It's completely physically intuitive because my body naturally deals with what my eyes see. It's, 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 it's completely in, intuitive, almost involuntary. It just happens. Well, what we treasure... Our inner person moves our hearts and minds the same way. In the same way our bodies move around what we see, our spiritual inner person works around what the heart really desires. This is why everybody, when they saw the Lord of the Rings, was so taken in by Gollum. My precious. I organize my whole life around this. This is what's most real about me. My precious. This is my precious. And what Jesus is saying is whatever is really your precious, your whole spiritual life will revolve around that just like your physical life revolves around what your eyes see. And so the business about mammon is that mammon represents, it's kind of a, um, in the same way Proverbs uh, um, personifies wisdom, like pursue her, you know, there's a personification there. Um, Well, there's the same thing here. This is a personification of something that's like a false object of worship and of devotion that debases the human person. 
And so it's um, riches in which people trust. It's a personification of a false god, of pursuing something that is not in alignment with God and his kingdom, those things which are above, in Paul's words. And this then invites us to a very um, difficult, if not troubling, contemporary notion. And that is that some things just really are conflicting. That as as much as we want to make everything okay, as much as we want to not judge anybody, as much as we don't want to judge ourselves, as as much as that's all very distasteful in the day we live today, and I get that. But again, just basic intellectual honesty makes us say that some things are conflicting. And that at least according to Jesus, you can't worship two gods at once. I love the way Eugene gets us in the message. For adoration of the one feeds contempt for the other. And this explains our society. Secularism did not come from nowhere. You think with me for a second this morning. From where did it come? It came from decades of pursuing something that as a natural byproduct produced contempt for God. This is the way it actually works. The, the little choices we all make all day, every day as individuals and as churches and cities and countries and as the world, these things all add up and, and they, um, they lead just kind of naturally to one path or another. And again, this is not an invitation to feel guilt or shame or to beat yourself up. It's simply an invitation. It's a Jesus-based, grace-based invitation to assess and then to make a decision to a commitment this is you know putting it positively this is the 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 power of treasuring something see once you decide once you treasure it has a gravitational pull on our hearts our minds our will and it and um it bends us like if you've ever had a potted plant or something where it you know it grows towards the sun or if you're a golfer, you know that grass grows towards the sun. And, and so it's the same way with us. Once we have something we treasure, it bends us towards that which we treasure. So now what if we were just get right, right down to our topic for today, money and possessions? How can we find a peace-filled way to steward money and possessions well so that they don't you know, take over our lives. And I just want to say three quick things. The first is, things I've taught you before, is indifference. Sort of, I'm thinking of Ignatian spirituality, of indifference. That our desires and preferences are all put under service to God and to others. And wherefore, they're indifferent about what they might mean to me. This is what Paul means in Philippians 4 when he says, actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally, I've learned by now to be quite content whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. You would be surprised how far in the spiritual life you can go with just taking on a little bit of Ignatian indifference. Number two, I remind myself sometimes multiple times during the day as I go through my life that I'm always safe in the kingdom of God. So whether little money or a lot of money, it doesn't make me unsafe. I might have preferences regarding money, but it doesn't fundamentally make me unsafe. 
because my safety is not found in money. My safety is found in God and his kingdom. I'm always safe in God's kingdom. And then thirdly, again, I many times throughout a day will remind myself the Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to live in a state of want. I refuse to live in a state of want. I refuse to live under the tyranny of my wants. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't have to live in want. All right, so how's this uh, turning the corner now? How's this all um, kind of apply to us as we come to this uh, family meeting part of what I want to say to you this morning? And what are the implications of this for Holy Trinity for the coming year? So the first thing I want to say is that for me and for the pastoral staff and the um, parish council or church council and, and others, that we've just kind of discerned that 2016 is for us a year of nurture. Uh, a, a year of giving ourselves to Christ being more fully formed in us, that it's kind of a developmental phase, um, that what we have and who we are, we just want to nurture so that the whole community is more and more uh, investing in, a, in it and growing with us. Um, it feels to me like this is kind of a pivotal point for us towards long-term sustainability. Um, once a month, I go down to Mission San Luis Rey for a, a half-day retreat and to see my spiritual director. And um, when it's warm, I often sit under the pepper tree there, if you've ever been there and seen it. That pepper tree is allegedly, as far as I can tell, the oldest pepper tree planted in California, 1825, by a man named Father Perry. And one day sitting under there, just noticing all the insects deriving life from it, the birds flying around in it. I, I had this, I just this is dopey, I know, but I had this vision, simultaneous prayer of God. Could you make something out of Holy Trinity that 200 years from now, people would be finding life in it? That this wouldn't just be an experiment in taking formation public, that this wouldn't just be about my ideas or any of our leaders' ideas, but Lord, could you help us make something that would be something that sits there in public and that other people could be thriving on and finding spiritual life from 200 years from now the way these insects find life from this pepper tree that some humble priest planted 200 years ago. I think a, 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 a big part of the church's response to the growing secularism is to just hold public space. I mean, I completely empathize with the notion that is all over American Christians today to, like, let's just do church in a bowling alley. Let's just do church in a pub. Uh, uh, a pub. Uh, you know, let's, let's you know, I, I don't like church anymore. I'm, so, I'm sort of done with institutional religion. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. I, I have complete empathy with that point of view. And there's nothing we can do about it. It's just going to have to run its course. Um, so it's nothing I feel like I need to talk against or anything. It's just going to happen. It is happening. It's going to happen. But I feel the calling, personally, to just hold public space, not just physically, but mentally. I, for one, have decided I am a follower of Jesus, unabashed. And I'm not ashamed of the things he teaches. I'm not ashamed of his quality of being. 
I'm not ashamed of the intention of God that was expressed through him and how it gives humanity meaning. It is the meaning of my life. It is that which I treasure unapologetically. And if as a, you know, a teacher, preacher, professor, author, all the things I do, leader of organizations, if I can help other people hold public space, that is to say to hold Christ as preeminent in their hearts and minds, fantastic. And if we can hold public space even in terms of the goodness, the worthiness of 10 o'clock every Sunday, we gather together. And it, and it says important things like, Eucharist is not essentially a private act. I mean, it is. We're all going to come to come forward and, you know, Beth or Dennis or somebody will hand me bread and I'll be personally grateful and personally worshiping. But we're doing Eucharist in public. Eucharist is a public act that proclaims this is what God was doing in Christ. And I think this is very important. And that's what calls for our sustainability. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, we need your time and talents as we talked, sorry, your talents and gifts as we talked about last week. Yes, we as a, as a church need to stewardship our money in a way that is, you know, gives to the church and keeps it going. But that can't be the vision, right? Doesn't that sound dopey compared to taking Jesus public? <laughs> so why do we need a building? Why do we need to pay rent? Taking Jesus public. We're, you know, we're, we're going public with this. And uh, I know it can be done in, in different ways, but it's, it's the sense, at least for me, of what I think we feel called to do. So when I talk about stewardship, then, uh, us as a family, I have a vision of creating ownership that's rooted in our vision and values, not a mashup of private ideas. Because that just leads to lowest common denominator thinking. And it doesn't have any point to it. You can't really get anywhere. So this is not like just a mashup of all of our private ideas. And this is certainly not a political or power-driven process. What we want to try to do is discern together what it is that God is calling us to be and do. And that is the place where we find togetherness and therefore stewardship. And so for me, stewardship is essentially a relational thing. It's not just a practical reason for giving of our time or money or energy or talents. But together, if we could hold a thought like this together that we are the cooperative friends of Jesus and we're doing something important together. We're not just a collection of individuals, but as the years have, have gone on and will go on, we're growing into a body of which Christ is the head. Now I wanna underline this again, that I know that, the, the, that this church is rather full of people who were done with church. I get it. And I want to say I empathize. I mean, someday grab Debbie or I and ask us to tell you the story of our seven years of being dechurched or six years, whatever it was. I get it. And I don't mean it like, a, oh, been there, done that, you know, dismissive way. I don't mean it like that at all. I mean it with genuine empathy, complete genuine empathy. It's just that I came to the conclusion it, that almost feels like it was a developmental phase for me. And that I came out the other side saying, no, I, 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 I think there's a public aspect to this. And that it can't just be reduced to something private in me 
and a handful of others who think exactly like me because as soon as we don't think exactly together, well then, you know, we can't be together. So I want to say to those of you who are sitting here maybe with deep wounds that have been created about money in churches or in your family, your family systems or in church systems, I just want to say we are utterly patient with you that this is, at the end of the day, this is not about the stewardship of anything. This is about your spiritual transformation into Christ-likeness and that any call that we have for stewardship is just an aspect um, of our formation into Christ-likeness and that we want to do it in a way that cares for you and just simply shares the burden with those with whom you're in community. I don't see... Uh, Todd Pickett here this morning, Dr. Pickett, but you may remember a number of months ago when he finished our series on the minor prophets and he, he had to do uh, Malachi. Did he do Malachi? And so, you know, had to, had to talk about tithing. And I remember I listened to it or read his notes, I can't remember, and, and uh, he made this comment that really tithing is just the support of our covenant life together. And I, I loved this paragraph. He said, there is a death leading to life, you know, picture that hyphenated, a death leading to life rhythm to our walking with God. And the regular giving of our money or tithe often feels like little deaths on the way to the life they bring. And they raise the question that often sits deep in our hearts, will giving really be worth it for me? And again, I just want to say as we go through this, you, you have my word and most heartfelt intention that there'll never be hype here. We'll always be honest. There's never going to be any anxiety. In fact, um, we found out, you know, really good news a number a few weeks ago now that Vanguard is happy for us to stay here kind of as long as we need to be. And and so we have at least through the school year of um, 17, maybe till the end of the year, I can't remember. But there's certainly no pressure for us to get out. And I just want you to know this is an example. The reason we chose not to like go for it, you know, you've all been in churches, you know, where you're like, go for it and just go for another building, go for a building project, go for, you know, beating you over the head for money so we could get this new building is, okay, it's one of those moments, look me in the eye. If we can't do it in peace, we're not doing it. I don't care what it is. Anything that can be done through anxiety can be done better through peace. Anything that can be done through manipulation can be done better through honesty. Anything that can be done through using anger can be done better through love. We don't have to resort to anxiety, manipulation, or social bullying. We don't have to. We live in a different reality. We live in God's kingdom. We don't, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. We don't have to cave to mammon or anything else. Once you have my word, that as far as we can live into that, that's certainly who we want to be. So the last couple thoughts, I know this is getting long, we're almost done. <laughs> long for a sermon anyway. So um, establishing Holy Trinity, like if you were to just take me to coffee and, you know, get me to, you know, like, you know, speak, uh, you know, um, Non, you know, not formally. I mean, I would just tell you that establishing Holy Trinity has been surprisingly for me a longer runway than I first imagined. It's been harder to learn to be an Anglican. I feel like I'm still doing it. I don't feel like I know I'm still doing it. 
It's been, it's, it is hard and has been hard for any new church to start in Orange County. The vast majority of the churches who have tried to start in Orange County the last five or six years have not succeeded. We thank God have. I mean, we're here. But it's a lot easier said than done. And so this has been a longer runway to sort of take off than I first imagined. But we're not giving up on our, uh, our vision or ideals. And I just want to set these before you briefly and then... As Beth said, anybody wants to talk about this, we'll meet you for, I'll meet you for conversations. We can talk about any of this. But our basic vision is this. I just want you to, I just want to set these thoughts before you. Don't like try to remember every word, just in a sense, maybe feel it. Our vision is that through thoughtful teaching and visual beauty and quiet reflection, that we could create a sacred space with a focus on the lordship and provision of God in Jesus, and especially in this Eucharistic form in which we're doing it, and that all this would point to and lead to spiritual transformation into Christ's likeness for the sake of being God's people in the world, and that we do this uniquely, that is to say, though we are a community, we do this uniquely, one person at a time, always valuing the individual person in their journey, starting with where people are, not where we wish they were. Then, that those people would see a kingdom impact in their sphere of influence, and wider, as the Spirit might lead. Our sense of mission is this. Again, it's taking formation public. That is to say that discipleship to Christ is normative. It's not something for special people who go off and do retreats or, or monks or nuns or something. But we want to take the, the, we want to make the, the notion of, of um, followership of Jesus um, typical rather than um, something that's exceptional. We want to take that public. And using the spiritual practices of church, of prayer and confession and creed and you know, all the elements of our usual liturgy, that these become spiritual practices for us so that we give themselves, we give ourselves to them precisely so that we could become disciples of Jesus. And then as the Spirit would help us, beginning with those who are most open, most readied by the Spirit, those who you hear sometimes called persons of peace, um, and I know these are often for us going to be nuns or church dropouts or those who are stuck in church but not growing, that God would begin to give us a way to find the people who we can best find. And this is what I meant a couple weeks ago, talking about these trust and respect dinners and that sort of thing. Um, we're also um, feeling led that it's kind of time for us to get a little more otherly when it comes to global things. And in 16, we want to take at least one or two kind of short-term missionary trips just to dip our toe in the water for the sake of discernment. Like, Lord, how can Holy Trinity take its little place in the world? What are you asking us to do? How can we commit to something that's focused but makes a difference both in our community and in the world? Our basic values, those things that hold us together, are that we are apprentices of Jesus, that we're on this dual journey of a journey inward, of transformation of our essential person and a journey outward. That is to say that our piety would exist for the good of others in doing this as we always say in thoughtful and quiet and beautiful ways. Our priorities, our word and table. I, somebody said to me the other day, they looked on our website and they saw people like Dennis and Mike and uh, Todd and Alan and others and thought, oh my gosh, you guys have like the most amazing teaching team ever and I'm like well that's not an accident we truly value the word of God and we we truly value 
placing it before you in, in both good and um, useful ways that it would guide our life. And, and loving, willing the good of others is a, a major uh, priority for me, that, that, um, that in all that we do, we will each other's good. We give priority to the gospel of the kingdom, person and work of the Holy Spirit, to, as I've said, local and global mission, and our community. Um, and it's one of the things that I think is still a challenge before us, and one of the things that's um, been one of the biggest reasons for this long um, runway is I don't feel like we've yet cracked the culture of our, sorry, cracked the code of our communal, <laughs> I'm getting tired, cracked the code of our commuter culture. Um, I mean, we just come from everywhere. And um, building community around that, I think, is still a challenge for us, but, but we'll work on it. And then lastly, our basic practices. Um, I want us, uh, you've heard me say this before, but I, I think it's important that we have to be mindful of our time. That is to say, this is not 1946 after World War II. This is not the crazy 60s. It's not the 70s or 80s. This is a different day. And I want to help us think about how do we be present to 2016 and beyond? And how do we be our link in the chain of faith? And that's a big part of what I mean about just holding space in Western culture. As I've said, both public and mental and spiritual. Um, uh, another practice for us is to grow in pastoral and missional wisdom um, concerning the liturgy. And grace enabled wise and directed use of the spiritual disciplines. And I just mean to say that for myself, I don't think I quite yet understand how all this is supposed to work. I care about it a lot. And I work on it a lot and think and read and pray and talk to smart people. But I just feel like um, the liturgy has even more to offer us as we can learn to engage with it as a spiritual practice for our own formation. And then our practices of praying for each other, you know, we kind of do it out there on the patio up here at front. This is hugely important to us because I know that all of us come into church, you know, at least some point during the year needy, and we just want to acknowledge that, our pains, confusions, disappointments, whatever, and that we do, we, we prioritize laying hands on each other and praying for each other, expecting God to move and to do stuff. So, done. <laughs> done tell conversations. So 2016, I think, is simply this notion of stewardship and of nurturing who we are is simply an invitation to take another step forward. And we'll talk more next week about some specific giving ideas, but it's just to take a step forward. And then, um, so hear my heart here. You are not Holy Trinity's best assets. You know how like when people in business think they're being really remarkable by saying, well, human beings are your best assets. You're not our best assets. You know what you are? Living stones being built into a house that is Christ. And that's why I respect you. That's why I treat you as worthy in your own right. 
That's why I treat your mind as if it matters. That's why I want to know your heart. You're not my best asset. You're not Holy Trinity's best asset. You're not mine at all. You're God's. And you're living stones. And I don't want to kill you to put you in my wall, that which I'm building. I want to breathe the breath of God on you, make you more alive, more human. And let's see what God can do with that as living stones. So as we go through this year on um, nurturing together and stewardship, I just want you to know that do this according to your life situation. Just like, you know, in our bulletin, we say that, you know, the liturgy is not a test. It's, it's, it's not, not a test of your spirituality. If you ever find yourself sort of lost in the liturgy, especially if you're new to it, you know, you know how I say in the bulletin, don't worry about it. Just sort of let the community carry you. Let the community around you pray if you get lost in prayer. and You just give yourself to that. Well, that's the same invitation I want to give you this year. Just, if you get stuck, just let the congregation carry you along for a while. So let's turn our hearts now to a moment of quiet. And I want to take you back to our readings this morning, this notion of setting our hearts from Paul or focusing our eyes in the words of Jesus. And this morning, confession will be um, extemporaneous instead of our common written confession. Confession simply means to agree with God on one level. Just it's, it's seeing things from God's point of view and coming to agreement with him that I'm wrong about these things, that I've sinned in what I've done and what I've left undone. I haven't loved you or my neighbor with my whole heart. So this morning I want you to think and come to agreement with God about is there an area of stewardship in your life in which you, can't, you need to come into agreement with God about. So again, think about upon what are your hearts set. Just have the intellectual and spiritual honesty to in this moment say, upon what is my heart really set? Not what I say, not my notions, but what's real? What really is the focus of my eyes? And wherever you see it, see a gap there, an area of stewardship where you see a gap. Did you notice there? Ask the Holy Spirit to come with you into that place to help you to come into agreement with God about it, to see it the way he sees it, to tell him you notice the gap and that you want to repent. That is to say, to see things from a different point of view and therefore to go in a different direction than you've been going.